Turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. This is God's holy word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied it. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. May God bless the preaching of his word. Most little girls grow up absolutely adoring Cinderella, the story. The other day I asked my daughter, Avonlea, who's three years old, do you want to watch Cinderella? And I couldn't even get through the name of the movie before she was bursting out with, I love fairy godmother. I don't like stepmother. She's bad. Gus, 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 Jack. And then she was in the corner. My two-year-old chimed in with her favorite war cry, la, 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 which is her way of declaring her love for Cinderella. Cinderella's stories are beloved by most, and there's over 500 different versions of the story. It's a lot of competition. But I'm going to make a bold statement this morning to say that in the story of Ruth, we actually have a Cinderella story without compare. You got all the important elements. A lowly woman, a displaced mother, a studly prince charming. Maybe we can even imagine some mice at the threshing floor. And I'm going to resist the dad joke urge to call Ruth Cinderruthie. You're welcome. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Sorry. The Cinderella story that 
that Ruth tells, though, flips many of the normal paradigms. This mother's actually a positive support, and this Cinderella's poverty and ashes are chosen. Ruth signed up for a life with obstacles more insurmountable than any other. And this Prince Charming is far more kind and generous. And this Cinderella's courage goes far beyond a fairy godmother makeover, dance party, and tiny feet. This Cinderella displays the courage and loyalty of a martyr. Not actually dying, but taking on extreme vulnerability because of her loyalty to Naomi. Now, in chapter 2 of our story, Boaz was lavishly kind to Ruth, but there was no hint of romance yet in the text. Maybe we want it to be there. But this was not a love-at-first type situa- uh, first sight situation. And six to seven weeks have gone by since that scene. And Naomi sees an opportunity in Boaz. But it appears nothing's going to happen without some type of decisive action. And so she decides that something must be done to force him to a decision. And she puts on her headset and she dials up a play more ambitious than 4th and 26 from 2003. For those of you who are Eagles fans, you know what I'm talking about. This is the climax of the story of Ruth. We should all be on the edge of our seats leaning in. For all those still recovering from the Phillies blues This is like the bases are juiced in the ninth inning with two outs and Bryce Harper is up to bat. And you're saying, what is going to happen? You really don't get better than this story. So rather than some creative organization for you guys this morning, we're just going to follow the storyline with four points. First, a singular opportunity. Second, a daring plan. Third, an audacious request. And then fourth and finally, a remarkable response. So let's unpack the story together, first with that singular opportunity. So Naomi turns at the beginning of the text, and with affection she declares to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Remember that Ruth was a foreign widow, and Naomi knew that Ruth needed a husband to ensure a future of protection and provision. So in verse 2 she says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? She's underscoring he's our relative. Literally in the text, it's he's the relative. In her mind, Boaz was the only hope that Ruth had for a husband. Boaz was such a great opportunity because he could not only provide for her as a husband, he could also redeem her land. Later we hear him call himself a kinsman redeemer. When an Israelite husband died and didn't leave any children his brother or a close relative would marry the widow and raise up children in the name of the deceased. And often he would also redeem the land. What Naomi was after then was far beyond just a romance for her daughter-in-law. She was after Ruth's protection. And Boaz was a potential kinsman redeemer. And that gave her and Ruth a potential moral ground to stand on to make a bold request to him to marry her. As Jared helped us see last week so helpfully, Boaz was a stud. He was a godly and financially stable man during the time of the judges, when even the heroes like Samson were corrupt. Boaz is at the threshing floor, a place far away from town, an ideal place for a private conversation. 
All this calls for action in the mind of Naomi. The planets have aligned. And so Ruth, who bound herself to Naomi, has, has just created a love bond between her and Naomi, where Naomi says, I'm going to do everything in my power to secure protection for you. Hence the daring plan that follows. It's our second point, a daring plan. Naomi gives Ruth detailed instructions on how and when to approach Boaz. Wash, anoint yourself, and change out of mourning clothes to signal that you're ready to wed again. After you've washed up, sneak to the threshing floor and wait. After a long day of waiting, Boaz would then eat and drink and then sleep by the harvest to protect it from enemies and animals. After observing where Boaz lay, she was to wait until he fell asleep and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and wait. Naomi says then at that point, he will tell you what to do. All this Ruth does, creeping softly up to him, uncovering his feet and laying down. Now, all of this should leave you asking, is this plan entirely appropriate? Not sure this would make it through the angel vid filter. And actually the narrator who put this story together in the, the, uh, this, the, the format we have now wants you to ask those questions. Each of the words in verse 4, lie down, observe or know, and uncover, are capable of multiple meanings in your Old Testament. They can be mundane actions, but they can also be sexual acts. Why did the narrator do this? He wants you in suspense. Some commentators say that nothing physically intimate happened here for sure. And others say it definitely did happen. I believe both are wrong in that we don't know at this point of the story exactly what's taking place. The whole point is that you should be on the edge of your seat wondering what in the world is going on more, you should be biting your nails, agonizing over how Boaz is going to interpret all of this. Boaz was the only feasible hope of a husband for Ruth. So Naomi and Ruth make a wild gamble based on the character of Boaz, but more based on the character of God. Bitter Naomi's heart had melted, and her growing faith in the providence of God caused her to cast the daughter she loves so much into his gracious arms. That's important for us to note. One of the great signs of the end of bitterness towards God in your life is a willingness to take risks and trust him again. And on the flip side, an unwillingness to sacrifice for Christ can be an indicator of remaining bitterness in our hearts. Think back to Jared's phenomenal sermon a couple weeks ago that really ministered to so many of us. Maybe you were convicted in that time and felt God speaking to your heart directly. Well, are there still areas that you sense an icy distrust of God in? Perhaps you've had promptings of the Spirit to step out in faith, maybe do something that's a little bit risky but would bring him pleasure, to sacrifice. And you've been holding back because you're not sure he's going to provide. I believe this morning, even through Naomi's example, 
He's calling you to step out in faith in his providence, even as he continues to build your trust. If he can change Naomi's heart, who wanted to change her very name to bitterness, he can change yours and melt it from the icy frost to a trusting warmth. Now, the fact that Ruth goes along with this plan and says, everything that you said I will do is absolutely incredible. It shows us a little bit of why she's upheld as such a clear symbol of female nobility and steadfast love in your Bibles. She's got crazy courage. She's a little like Gimli, not in appearance, hopefully. She's a little like Gimli in the Lord of the Rings movie. When they just won the battle at Minas Tirith by the, the, you know, the skin of their teeth, they've got few uh, soldiers left, and they say, let's go to Mordor and go fight Sauron with our remaining army. And Gimli says, near certain certainty of death, small chance of success, what are we waiting for? This is the kind of faith Ruth is showing in signing up for the plan. She's laughing in the face of danger. What a daring plan. Let's continue the story and look at the audacious request that Ruth makes. Ruth goes, uncovers Boaz's lower limbs, and lies in wait. At midnight, Boaz gets a bit chilly, and groggily he shivers and rolls over to find warmth only to bump into a woman. Shocked, we hear him say, who are you? It's nighttime, and no streetlights are around. He literally has no idea who is lying at his feet. And in this sinful time of the judges, it was common for prostitutes to approach men at the threshing floor to make money. So Boaz is suspicious. That it could be Ruth is the furthest thing from his mind. What Ruth says next is absolutely stunning. It would have been bold in the daylight, but this conversation is happening in the darkness of the threshing floor. For us, this conversation is happening on incognito mode, through a disappearing Snapchat. There was no third wheel here. This is behind a locked door. Anything could have happened. Boaz didn't need to pause to ask a question. He could have interpreted her approach, anointing and covering and laying as a simple offer of physical intimacy. But praise be to God, he does not. And he asks, who are you? And Ruth replies audaciously, first with humility and then with a request. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Ruth recognizes the barriers that exist between her and Boaz. He was her boss. He was a native. He was far older than she. And she recognizes that she does not deserve to be there by saying she is his servant. But here's the thing. True humility does not eliminate boldness, friends. Actually, true humility will make you more bold for Christ. We can see our weakness. We can see our lowliness and still step out in faith. Because God is an amazing provider. Ruth immediately follows up this humility with a straight-up marriage proposal. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You might hear spread your wings over and say, is is she just asking him to cover her with a garment because it's cold out? Well, yes and no. Once again, brilliant double meaning to the word. It is literally just covering something. But it's actually a standard idiom at this time for marriage. 
It was a symbolic act of spreading a garment over a woman that a husband then would declare he would protect and provide for her for her future. So this is a straightforward to Boaz way of saying, will you marry me? Now this is not merely a marriage proposal of, you're so handsome, will you marry me? This is much more forceful than that. Here this servant Moabite widow not only casts herself on Boaz, but she turns the tables and begins to lecture him on his responsibilities to her. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Daniel Block comments on this. He says, helpfully, here is a servant demanding that the boss marry her. A Moabite making the demand of an Israelite. A woman making the demand of a man. A poor person making the demand of a rich man. It's bold. She doesn't appeal to her beauty. She doesn't appeal to the loyalty she has shown to Naomi. She appeals to Boaz's moral conscience. As a relative, Boaz had an obligation from God to consider providing the family of Naomi with descendants. Knowing his commitment to the law, Ruth urges him to fulfill this role. Guys, what courage that represents. She has approached him alone in the night and uncovered his feet. And now she lectures him on his responsibilities. This is a woman who is acting and talking like she's in the position of power when she ought to be terrified and cowering. But Ruth continues to display a remarkable trust in the Lord. I should also note, ladies, that this is not a formula for how to get a good husband. This is not every godly woman's battle plan. But this is a desperate, the desperate faith of a noble woman clinging to the providence of God. And this is also a good reminder that women should challenge men to live and act in ways that honor God, challenging them to lead, initiate, and sacrifice for the sake of others. So that audacious request is made, and finally, there's a remarkable response. What will Boaz do? Will he cast her aside like an unwanted prostitute? And spread her acts for all to hear. Will he take advantage of her? Only to kick her out in the morning and refuse to marry her. Boaz's first words burst the tension in the building. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And Boaz's words there are not only the pressure relief of the story. They're also the interpretive key of the subsequent events. All along we've wondered where this is leading, but with a word, Boaz sanctions Ruth's actions and exonerates her character. He has seen nothing in her but hesed, steadfast love and kindness in what she has done. And we should too. She has not gone after a young man of any kind, poor or rich. She has acted on behalf of her mother, Naomi. She's acted in accordance with the law of God and she has requested he cover her with his skirt through the only legitimate means in marriage. And so Boaz says, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. And he sends her away with a gift of promise in, in the night before the sun rises to protect her character. So why does he do this? Is he just so 
amazed at the way she looks in that moment? No, the text actually says the reason he will do this is not just because of what he thinks about her. It's what the whole town thinks about her. Ruth had left Moab, had bound herself to the ashes of Naomi's grief. She had entered the fields at her own risk to put food on the table. And the whole town was watching. And the whole town agreed that she was a living representation of what the law said a woman should look like. And when she had risked everything then to come in the night to follow her mother's plan, that filled Boaz with admiration so that he said, you are a worthy woman. Though he's higher in power and rank, he knows he's the one marrying up. To which every married man quickly chimes in, join the club. Now as Jared mentioned last week, the book of Ruth follows the book of Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible. That's because Ruth is a living illustration of the excellent wife of Proverbs 31. Listen as I read from Proverbs 31 how many of the descriptions are captured in the story. Excellent wife is also translated worthy woman. It's the same phrase. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portion for her maidens. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her work praise her in the gates. She was praised in the gates in this story, and she would become a part of a family that would forever be blessed. Here is a strong woman. Here's a brave woman. She is willing to risk everything for those she loves. Here's a woman who does not lead with showy flirtation, but allows the character of her name to precede her. Here is a woman who shows initiative. Gone are the flimsy caricatures of women who are silent all the time, never speak up, and are passive. Gone is the Cinderella who needs mice and a fairy godmother to get the work done. I thank God that so many of you women in our church are beautiful pictures of this kind of femininity. Standing outside of Planned Parenthood, pleading the cause of the unborn. Sharing the gospel at work and at playdates, tirelessly giving your energy by day and your sleepless nights of prayer and care for your children. One of my friends once told me that he calls his wife a steel lily. I love that image of a steel lily. It's an image that captures beauty, but also strength in unyielding resolve. Ruth was a steel lily. Women of Covenant Fellowship, be unflinching in your resolve to live righteously. Be unyielding in your steadfast love to your family and church. Be untiring in your labor for the good of others. I thank God 
for the field of lilies, of steel lilies, that is our church. Women who stand for righteousness and love with steadfastness. Ladies, one of the, the great encouragement of this book is that it shows you a worthy woman doesn't need to be in perfect circumstances to be godly and beautiful. The Proverbs 31 woman here is in impossibly challenging circumstances. You don't need to have the perfect husband. You don't have to have the perfect past. You don't have to have the perfect family, live in the perfect house, drive in the perfect minivan, or have perfect kids in that Thanksgiving photo. You can be desperate. You can be alone. You can be clinging to hope in the wake of death. You can be at the end of your rope. You can be in the middle of a desperate attempt to grab a hold of your only hope and still live with complete commitment to godliness. Your character can shine through a dark time in redemptive history in impossible circumstances to the point where God captures it in the Bible for all to read and learn from. Single ladies, make it your ambition to pursue Christ so zealously and love those in your life so tenaciously that your name is known in our church as worthy to the glory of God. So many of you are living this way. Keep going. Your God sees your beauty, and so do we as your church family. Ladies, because of your focus on godliness and not external beauty, you may not catch the eye of the fellows on the street, but you very well may catch the eye of a worthy man. And you can know with absolute certainty that your Savior is always cherishing the godliness that you pursue. Men of Covenant Fellowship, let's make it our aim this Thanksgiving season to make sure that the ladies in our life know how thankful we are for them. Let them know where you see their steel resolve and where appropriate where you see their beautiful godliness. Amen? Women of Covenant Fellowship Church, Ruth is a far clearer portrait of godly femininity than Cinderella. And yet, compared to Prince Charming, at least according to the Disney animated one I grew up on, Cinderella is very courageous. All Prince Charming does is dance with her and find her slipper. He doesn't even give her his name. He doesn't even go in search of her himself. But friends, we all have a husband in Jesus who has sought us when we weren't seeking him. We have the better Boaz, who's the one who took the risk in pursuit of us, the greatest redeemer. And we glory in him who is our redeemer. So church, all of this has been pointed to help us remember in this story of risk and provision and redemption to point us to our story where there was one who took the risk, who provided the provision and redeemed us by his blood. All of this has been aiming at your heart to call you to cast yourself completely into the arms of Christ. For he is your only hope and faithful kinsman redeemer. 
We cast ourselves. Ruth and Naomi felt like Boaz was their only option, and so they spared no expense, and they ran into the threshing floor, and they risked everything. But Jesus really is our only hope. And so we must not hold back, church. We must cast ourselves completely into his arms, for he is our only hope, and he is our faithful kinsman redeemer. We did not courageously pursue Jesus in the night, pleading with him to save us. We did not appeal to him based on the unending steadfast love to save us from our plight. We weren't merely the victim of bad circumstances, of death and famine. God gave us a beautiful life. We were kings and queens of creation, but we ruined it with our sin. We chose our own desires. We abandoned our loved ones. And before we knew Christ, everything we did was marred by sin. And the only thing that held us back from being the worst we possibly can be is the grace of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And alone we sat in our ash heap that we created, trying to mop away the stains of our sins. But our husband, our kinsman redeemer, sought us out. Glory to the redeemer. He saw that he had, we had worked up quite a debt, friends. Quite a debt. Enough of a debt for sins that it will take all of eternity to pay in hell. And he paid the price of our redemption on the cross in our place. Amen. Glory to the Redeemer. He laid down his sinless life on the cross as a payment for all of our guilt and took all the wrath that we deserve. And he brought us from slavery to sin into freedom. Glory to our Redeemer. And in ransoming us from sin, he went even beyond this to call us into his chamber and to make us his bride. Jesus, the eternal son of God, left the glories of heaven to become a man like you and me. And yet to sinlessly live and die in our place to be our kinsman redeemer. And when he died for us, he made an unbreakable covenant with you and I. So that he will always be our faithful husband forever. Glory to the Redeemer. He is your husband, church. He is your provider. He is the one for whom and by whom you live. He covers you with his wings of refuge. He is ever pleading with you to cast yourselves afresh into his mighty arms of protection. Glory in your Redeemer by trusting him with your entire life. Amen. Amen. Friends, like Ruth, we were in that place of desperation. We stayed and we gave in to our sin and we never left to approach him. But he has approached us and he will never stop pursuing us. If you're living in the midst of a struggling marriage with a spouse that doesn't seem to live up with live up to the expectations you had, you have a husband. A husband who faithfully lays down his life for you and will for eternity cause you to sing this in Revelation 19. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. Church, cast yourself. Cast yourself completely into the arms of Christ. He's your only hope, but he's a faithful redeemer. He's our only option, but he's the best option you could ever have. And friends, if he has provided for our salvation, surely he will provide for every need we have in this world. Amen? Lord, we pray that you would help us to glory in our Redeemer. Lord, help us to not complain and say, I am Mara, I am bitter. Help us not to say, I am, I am empty, I am bereft. Help us to declare we are full. We are satisfied for we have a great kinsman redeemer in you, Jesus, who has laid down your life for us and brought us into the intimacy of your love forever. Help us to live in gratitude. Help us to live in joy. Help us to live with the peace that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.